Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you guys for coming, surviving the snow. I hear there's lots of snow in Lebanon, but none here, so this is good. People wonder if we canceled church. It's like, no, there's no snow on the ground. But uh, thank you guys so much for coming. It's good to have you. We are on a 10-week series uh, going through the book of Proverbs, really the first 10 chapters, because we're trying to figure out this question, how do you obtain wisdom? And during the 10 weeks, we're pulling out 10 different um, uh, ways to be able to attain wisdom according to the book of Proverbs. But before we... know how to obtain it. We've got to understand what it is. And, and if you look at wisdom, there's many different, different, different definitions, but they kind of mean the same, pointing to one direction. Uh, wisdom is the ability to judge what is true, right, and lasting. Wisdom is thinking, living as God designed you to live. God is the ultimate uh, authority, and uh, we are wise when we heed his instructions and live the way he wants us to live. Wisdom is observing and following the creator's order of the moral universe. Wisdom is becoming competent with regards to the realities of life, knowing how things really happen, knowing how things really are, and knowing what to do about them. And then one that just kind of wraps up all those definitions is from Tim Keller, the ability to make the right decisions when the moral rules do not apply. Uh, Moral rules is the Bible. You've got about 20% of all our decisions. Uh, We don't need to um, uh, guess if a decision is right or not. We can look in the Bible and say, oh, this is the decision that the Bible tells me to make. Therefore, that would be a correct decision because God has my best interest in mind. But that's about 20%. The rest of the 80%, we're kind of on our own on making these decisions in regards to what college do I choose? When do I um, open my mouth? When do I speak? How do I love? How do I approach my relationships? All the decisions that we're making through the day is 80%. Are we wise in making those decisions? Are we bringing life to the things, that, the decisions that we make? That's what wisdom is. So looking at uh, the last couple weeks, um, how do you obtain wisdom? Uh, read 20% of the moral law would be number one. Uh, fear God would be the next one. And then get in touch with reality, being in touch with reality allows us to obtain wisdom. And uh, this morning we're going to look at another passage in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, 20 through 33, and it has one large point of how to obtain wisdom. And here's the point. To obtain wisdom, you must be responsive to God's reproof. What does the word reproof mean? It means correction, rebuke, uh, hey, stop it. It means there's authority that is over you that has your best interest in mind and you're doing something that is not in your best interest so that authority says, don't do it. We have a wood stove in our house and uh, in that wood stove, it has glass and when the heat or when the wood starts to burn and that glass gets really hot and we had young children who are crawling, you know, at a certain age and when they're crawling, they love to go up and touch that hot screen. But don't worry, the father who knew best would not, and her mother, who knew best, would not let them touch the wood stove. Why? Because we knew exactly what the wood stove would do to them if they touched it. We'd look at our children and say, you do not want this. Step away from it. Don't touch it. We have your best interest in mind. When we look at the word reproof, reproof is not a negative word. Reproof is somebody that knows what is right for you, that makes a statement, don't do it because I have your best interest in mind. And God knows exactly what is right for us, more than we even know for ourselves. And since we don't even know what's exactly right for ourselves, God steps up and says, well, make sure you're guided, directed by me. Listen to my reproof so life can be, life can be yours. I worked at Hillcrest for 10 years, and that's a youth uh, correction facility, so I work with, with prisoners. And uh, 
a lot of them were from the gang world. A lot of them were from uh, the outsides, were uh, very negative to them uh, before they committed their crime. When they got locked up, they were now in walls. Um, Those walls, believe it or not, were security to them. Um, I know it's hard to believe, but uh, before they got paroled or or got let out um, of jail, um, of prison, I will tell you that the kids would act up. Um, They would talk to us over their fear, over their concern, because the life that they're going to live in, the gang world that they're going into, knowing that there's no structure in that life, knowing that there's nobody that would keep them guided, keep them protected, but they're exposed to a whole world. They wanted something just to hang on to them, and the thing that held on to them were the walls of a prison before they went into the gangs they used to be in. So when it comes to reproof, God is saying, I want to put walls around you. I want to take care of you. The reproof is healthy. The reproof is good. It's something that you can lean on. It's something you can hold on to. It is something that will carry you through life. What's interesting is many people reject God's reproof. And as we reject it, we'll see in this passage, there's a cry that if we reject it, um, the cry is, according to the passage, you're stupid. Don't reject God's reproof. Let's read the passage we'll be looking at. Proverbs 1, 20. Wisdom cries out loud in the street. In the marketplace, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long will you scoffers delight in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my thoughts known to you. Because I have called you and you have refused to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one heeded. Because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you. When the terror strikes you like a storm, your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised my reproof. Therefore they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease, without dread Or disaster. Number two, by nature we are all naive, simple-minded scoffers that like that like scoffers that act like fools who hate knowledge. Um, This is specifically um, by our nature. It is offensive to hear it, but by our nature, as sin entered into us, we are born that way. Uh, We had a couple new additions to our families, and uh, the two uh, new additions is two new puppies. Uh, They came to our house about a week and a half ago, and I'd just like to introduce you to them. They are here, Bella and Nora, here in the sense of a picture, and you might look at them and say, those are really cute golden doodles, and I will tell you they really are cute golden doodles, and we'll even show you another picture of how cute they are, but I'm here to tell you that I love them dearly. However, they are naive, simple-minded fools who hate um, knowledge. In regards to the way they act, they feel like it is acceptable to pee on a floor and that their father and their mother is, is okay with that. They think it's acceptable to chew on the counters. They think it's acceptable to grab toilet paper and spread it clear across the house for some reason. 
They think it is completely acceptable behavior in our household. Um, a couple days ago, uh, my calf, uh, one of my cows had a, a calf, and uh, we went out to see um, the calf, and those do- two dogs came out as well. Uh, they uh, went after the afterbirth and ate the afterbirth. Now, me as a father said, absolutely do not do this. This is completely unacceptable. You are naive, simple-minded fool that has no brains. And of course, I bring them into the house, and then they think it's acceptable to lick my face after they eat the afterbirth. They do not thinking. They're not in touch with reality. I would definitely say they are out there. Proverbs 1.20 speaks to us in that regards. Almost how God even looks at us. Look at this, Proverbs 1. Wisdom cries out loud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long... These are the words to us, our nature. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffings and fools hate knowledge? Now, if you look at the verse on 22, it says, how long? What does that mean? That means that there is a time that you you are acceptable to be naive, simple-minded fools who hate knowledge. There is a time, and the time is that the puppies, yeah, it's okay for them to be that way. Children, yes, it's okay for it to be that way. But what happens is how long and when does it stop? Because what happens is wisdom is crying out in the streets. It is calling to us, and it's saying, you want to stop. No longer be naive. No longer be simple-minded. No longer be scoffers. What does naive mean? Naive means having a lack of judgment Simple-minded means not working with a full deck of cards. I'm sorry, that's my definition. Scoffers means mocks. That means no one who knows how to do it except me, therefore I'll mock somebody that is trying to do something. Fools, and this is in the dictionary, says you're an idiot. That's what a fool says. Uh, hate knowledge, what does that mean? It says you don't care about necessarily even, even being an idiot. Now these are uh, aggressive, aggressive words that are coming from Scripture. But they're not offensive words, because they're words that are inside of our nature on how we are living. They're words inside of our nature that God understands what is best for us, and we don't necessarily understand what is best for ourselves. We can look at dogs, and we can look at children, and and say, yes, that's where they're at, but not necessarily me, but according to this verse, God's looking at us and saying, uh, we are people that choose the wrong things, and Christ is saying, please accept my reproof. But I don't choose the wrong things. Look at the list in our notes. Do I choose sin over righteousness? Personally, way too often. Thomas Watson says, what does a man get from sinning? He gets a blot in his name, a curse in his estate, and a hell in his conscience. And here I am standing in front of you that there is time that I choose sin over righteousness. Well, God, who knows what's best for me, looks down and says, why are you naive? Why are you simple-minded? I know that the stove is hot, and I'm asking you not to touch it for your own good, for your own benefit. We choose self over Christ. There's only two steps into heaven. The first step is out of self and then into Christ. But our nature is still crying out, no, it's, it's still me. It's me. It's me. I'm priority. I'm the one that lives this life. I'm the one that should have it. I'm the one that should carry my pride. 
But God says, I know what's best for you. Choose me over self. We choose death over life. Now, that is a typo in your notes. It's not life over death. But no, we choose death over life. John 10 says, I have come that they may have life. This is Jesus speaking. And life into the fulls. What is that? Happy, joy, complete, eternal. Christ came for that complete life. But there's so many times that it's like, God, I just don't want anything to do with you. And then when you reprove me, I even reject you in that process. We choose failure over success. How do we choose failure over success? We store up treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy rather than treasures in heaven. And we're consistently doing this in God who knows more about what we really want than what we think we really want is saying, don't do it. Don't choose failure over success, but we still do it. We choose grief over joy. I'm going to hold on to a grudge because I have been wronged, and that grudge will be carried. Well, that grudge does nothing but absolutely destroy you, destroys your peace, destroys your rest. Um, God says, well, all you need to do is forgive, and joy will be completed, but we still, in our nature, speaking in our nature, in our nature, we still hold on to grudges. When we could say, I just want freedom from it and forgive. We choose hatred over love. It takes energy to hate people and it gives happiness to love people, but it's still so difficult for us to pour out love to people and it's a lot easier nature to hate people, to be frustrated at people. The list goes on. Rebellion over submission. Disobedience over obedience. Discard over peace. Judgment over forgiveness, danger over safety, damnation over salvation, hell over heaven. We might think that it's unacceptable behavior for my puppy to lick my face after he ate afterbirth, but it's not any more unacceptable for a person to choose hell over heaven. In fact, it's more common sense that you would receive that than to say, Jesus, I want nothing to do with the life that you have to offer me. You see, in our nature, we are fools. But don't worry, there's hope. And the hope is, is that wisdom cries out in the streets. Wisdom from the voice of the squares is crying, crying, crying. And what does he say? Turn to my reproof. And if you turn to my reproof, wisdom will be yours. Number three, the only way to get out of foolishness, the foolish state that we are in, is to be responsive to God's reproof. I had a golden retriever um, years ago. We bought it. Uh, when my children were, one of my children was crawling and the other one was, uh, was walking. And uh, I will tell you that that dog did not receive much attention from us because every time my children went outside, that dog liked to jump on them and uh, jump on them, knock them down. I'd put them in the shop. I'd put them in the garage. I really focused on my children. My wife and I focused on our children more so than that dog. So if I told that dog to sit at the age of 10, that dog would not sit at the age of 10 all the way through life. Now, I tell you, these puppies, the cute ones that I did show you, I got them sitting. And they're only, what, two months old. But what happens is they're listening and being responsive to my reproof. And as they're being responsive to my proof, they are training, I would say, in wisdom. Of course, they have a long ways to go. But still training in wisdom. The point is, is wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom comes to how responsive we are with reproof. The theme of Proverbs, looking at um, trying to understand what, um, how to obtain wisdom, and if you look at Proverbs, there's definite verbs that go all the way through the book of Proverbs that if you want to obtain wisdom, you want to hang on to these certain words and, and these certain verbs, and reproof is one, and I just want to show it before we get back into our passage. Uh, Proverbs 12.1 says, he who hates reproof is stupid. 
Proverbs 10, 17, he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever heeds reproof is honored. Proverbs 15, 5, whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15, 10, whoever hates reproof will die. Proverbs 15, 32, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-given reproof will dwell among the wise. And I want to go back to the passage that we read earlier. In the middle of this passage, Proverbs 1, 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my thoughts known to you. What is wisdom? Wisdom is when God has chosen to pour out his spirit on us and then makes his thoughts known to us. And he does that in regards to what? In regards to him, us responding to reproof. So what kind of a reproof does God give us? How does God give us reproof? The passage explains how God gives us this reproof. Letter A, God gives wisdom to the one who listens to his own conscience, which is God's call. So I want God to tell me what for. I want God to explain to me how, uh, what I want when I don't know what I want. I want to be condemned and judged when I go the direction that is not healthy. Uh, but how does God speak to me? How does he give me this reproof? I want to go to the middle of the passage again and continue to read it. Proverbs one twenty: If you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my thoughts known to you. I have called and you have refused to listen. You could almost put it up there. If you turn at my call, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my thoughts known to you. Please turn to my call. What is God's call? What is that passage referring to? God's call in that passage is referring to our conscience, an inner voice that says, stop. An inner voice that says, don't do that. What is this inner voice? What is this conscience? This inner voice, this conscience, is God's word to us. It is God saying, this is what you do not want to do, therefore you should listen to the advice. Now, conscience is very aggressive, and what I mean by very aggressive, as conscience comes, we're going to do one of two things with it. We're going to get rid of it, or get rid of the thing that causes it. Because we cannot stand the conscience speaking to us. It speaks way too loud. So therefore, we, if it's speaking to us, I'm doing this, I shouldn't be doing this, I've got to get rid of my conscience and I've got to grow a hard heart so the conscience no longer comes up. And that is one method that we do. However, remember that's the voice of God we're pulling out, we're not heeding to. The other method is to get rid of the item that is creating the conscience. We can easily get hard very fast and not even know it. We can see this in the New Testament when Jesus Christ talked to uh, Judas. He called Judas a devil, and Judas didn't even care. Why did Judas not care? He didn't even take heed to God's word, and it was even said to him, but why didn't he care? Because his conscience was uh, uh, was severed. He hung on to it, gone, rather than God's word. But this is the way we work. This is the way we often go, is that we are faced consistently with this conscience, and we have to ask the question, what are we going to do with it? This conscience is God's call for the purpose of granting us wisdom. And if we listen to it, wisdom will be ours. If we reject it, wisdom will not be ours. How else does God give us reproof? Letter B, 
God gives us wisdom. God gives wisdom to the person who braces him. This is his outstretched hand. Again, we're going to see this in the passage, going over the same passage, Proverbs 1.20. If you turn to my reproof, and I'll put the word embrace. If you turn to my embrace, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my thoughts known to you. I have stretched out my hand, which is an embrace, and no one has heeded my stretched out hand. Now, what kind of uh, reproof is this? Um, it's the most aggressive, powerful reproof that is rejected more often than any other reproof. Let me just give you an example of what kind of reproof that is given here. Um, if you are gossiping about a person, you explain to that person, this person is absolutely awful, and the person that you're gossiping to looks at you and says, well, I think that person is absolutely amazing. What happens is that is an aggressive reproof that causes a reaction to the gossiper. And what happens is that if he hears that that person thinks is great, and I'm saying that that person is bad, you are either going to go that person's direction, go, okay, I guess that person's okay, or you're going to reject that person that reproved you and say, well, you just don't know what you're talking about, and then remove away, move yourself away from them. Another example, uh, you can complain, I don't like a church. And somebody else says, well, I think the church is amazing. I think the church is wonderful. What happens is that that's a reproof that you really don't want to associate with. If you are saying something that you don't like, if somebody else comes and says, well, no, I think it's wonderful, it's a reproof that pulls you away from that person or will draw you more even towards the opinion of that person. Uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin uh, were people that uh, started and launched the Reformation in the 1500s. And Luther calls Calvin a pig, calls Calvin a devil. And this is Calvin's response. Calvin once replied, Luther may call me whatever he will, but I will always call him a dear servant of Christ. Strong reproof from Calvin. As Luther is putting him down, Calvin gives a reproof that says, I will always call you one servant in Christ with one goal. Now, all the way through Scripture, these are the strongest reproofs that God gives us. And the reason why they're the strongest reproofs is because there's a cross at the center of Scripture. And in the cross, the center of Scripture, we see the one that was not supposed to die, die. We see the one that was not supposed to be nailed to a cross, nailed to the cross. We see the one that should not forgive, forgive. We see the one that should not love us, love us. And when we see that, I will tell you what takes place in our hearts is we are either going to go towards it and embrace that reproof, or we're going to reject it. And the reason why we reject it and the reason why people hate the cross is because when they see a perfect Savior on it dying in your stead, you see something very ugly in yourself. You see, that's my sin that is on him. He is perfect, and he should not be the one there, but yet he is the one there. Do you see the power of the reproof? And then even in our lives when we're faced with people that we just do not want to forgive, God reproves us only when you look at the cross. You look at the cross and see how much you've been forgiven, it really confronts you, thinking, ah, I must forgive because this is how much I've been given. This is how much I've loved. I must love because this is how much I've been loved. I must serve because this is how much I've been served in the process. I must suffer for others because how much Christ has suffered for us. There isn't a reproof 
called an embrace that is the, probably the, strong, that is the most strongest uh, reproof that is out there. And is what the entire New Testament is pulling towards our, our direction is an embrace by God for the purpose to turn around and embrace others that are around us. If we choose to listen to this reproof rather than heed its warnings, wisdom starts to grow in us. And it is only then when wisdom starts to grow in us. Let us see. God gives wisdom to the one who listens to his word and his counsel. Counsel comes from somebody who knows a lot more than us. Um, if you look into the Bible, you are going to see how we are created, why we were created, and the purpose of what we were created for. What happens is God made us for a purpose, for a direction, for a mission. He has designed us, designed our behavior. He's designed our emotions. He's designed every part about us. He knows our hardware way more than, he know, than we know our own hardware. And the way that we respond often is not from the word saying, I know the way you want to respond, therefore listen to my counsel, listen to my words, and if you listen to my words, that direction will be given to you and wisdom will be yours. Proverbs one twenty: If you turn to my counsel, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, but you have ignored my counsel. Letter D, God gives wisdom to the one who accepts his reproof and what does the word reproof mean in the, one of the dictionary um, um, excerpts? It says, blame expressed to the face. We need to be people that want God in our face. We need to be people that want the cross in our face. We need to be people who want discipline in our face. We need to be people that do not want God to let us alone, but wants our conscience raw to what God wants us for us. And when we are those people, wisdom is then granted to us. We live in a world where many, many people need wisdom. The world needs wisdom. And God wants to pour out the wisdom all the way through the Proverbs explains. It's crying out in the street. He wants to pour out his wisdom to people. And he's looking for people that literally want to be in his face to give wisdom to. Jacob wrestled with God. That uh, You look at what happened when he got wrestled with God. He wrestled with God and he lost his hip, got his hip knocked out of whack. But I bet if you talk to Jacob, Jacob says, well, not everybody got to wrestle with God. Touch him, grab him, put him in a headlock, put, pull him almost to the ground in that process. Jacob would take great pride with being able to wrestle with God and I'd even take a hip out of a joint for the purpose of wrestling with him. Yes, Peter was rebuked when he walked on the water. Walked on the water and he took his eyes off Jesus. He started falling down and Jesus picked him up and says, you have little faith. But how many people got to walk on water? There is only one outside of Christ. These are people that wanted to be in God's face, that wanted to be in God's arms, that embraced his reproof, embraced his correction because they wanted wisdom. Number four, to reject God's reproof is to reject wisdom. So if you want God in your face, uh, what do we need to do is we need to confess our sins, but I'm just going to encourage you to take your confession even to a different level. Um, quite frankly, I get bored with confessing my fit, sins because it gets kind of repetitious. So often what I do is I'll take um, um, passages of Scripture and then put my, um, the passage of Scripture in first person and, and make it into my prayer and put it in my prayer journal and pray over it over it again and again. 
And there is an area that I have under my God, please forgive me, of the verse that I, of a prayer that I wrote off of this passage. And when it comes to please forgive me, it's I often choose sin over obedience, and I need forgiveness for it. I choose rebellion over submission, judgment over forgiveness, and foolishness over wisdom. I need forgiveness for it, and I want to be reminded about that. So the prayer that I wrote is, is in the bottom of your notes, and I'd just like to read it. God, wisdom calls in the street. She raises her voice in the squares. But I am simple-minded, mocking fool that hates knowledge. Your wisdom calls to me, but I refuse to hear it. You have stretched out your hand, and I have rejected you. God, I have chosen to neglect your counsel and have despised your reproof. Therefore, your wisdom will laugh at my calamity. Father, your wisdom will mock when my dread comes. I will call, and wisdom will refuse to respond. I will seek you, and I will not be able to find you. Father, this will be done because I hated knowledge, avoid wisdom, and refuse to fear you. Therefore, please keep my conscience raw, my arms open, my ears alert, and my affliction heavy. Encouragement to you is to starve for God's reproof because you don't want to touch a hot stove. You don't want to get to the end of your life and look back and say, why wasn't I walking with God all the way through my life? Starve for God's reproof. Pray for God's reproof. Father, we just thank you, God, for pursuing us the way that you have. And God, as uh, a people, we ask for your reproof. We want to um, hear your words in our ears. Uh, God, we want to even feel our, your hand on our backside. God, we want to be close to you, and we want you to walk with us every step of the way. And God, when we turn away from you, God, I just pray that you aggressively come after us. We want more of you, God, because we want more wisdom. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.